This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning, everyone. I wanted to thank uh, Tanto Nancy Petrin for inviting me to uh, give this talk and to also give the class on the second turning of the wheel of the Malakirti Sutra that I've been doing the month of July. And Koto, thank you for all your help. And I hope everyone is healthy and settled for today. I feel very grateful to be able to have a one day sitting today. Uh, so this month, as I mentioned, I've been teaching or introducing the teaching of the Vimalakirti Sutra as an expression of the second turning of the wheel. And a number of us have been gathering on Tuesday nights for this, and there's also some small groups, but four weeks to look at both the second turning of the wheel and the Vimalakirti Sutra is, um, you know, just touching in really. But, but there are themes and teachings here uh, that are, and I have been finding enormously illuminating and encouraging and feeling the, um, I, I guess you would call it wind of the family house, the um, ways in which what Vimalakirti is teaching has come down to us for all these years. The, the, uh, these sutras, this, uh, the Vimalakirti Sutra is part of the Prajna Paramita Sutras the Mahaya, great Mahayana sutras, including Avatamsaka Sutra and the Lotus Sutra and the literature of Prajnaparamita, many different sutras. And these were all written after the Buddha died or came to be uh, in about 100 before the common era through about 150 common era, give or take. So feeling, you know, this is thousand plus years coming down to us, these teachings. And the Vimalakirti Sutra has as the central teacher, actually the Buddha does not teach all that much in the Vimalakirti Sutra. It's Vimalakirti. Buddha is in the beginning and the end, but mostly it's it's Vimalakirti, who was a lay person, a lay follower, and some sense that he did uh, was living in the Buddha's time, uh, a lay follower named Vimalakirti. And he is an expression or epitomizes the spirit of the Mahayana, the great vehicle, which is the second turning of the wheel. 
So just a few words about that. Um, the first turning of the wheel or the old wisdom school included the Buddha's first teachings, uh, the, the teachings of the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the ethical, strong ethical teachings with the vinya and the moral deportment and so forth. And, but part of this teaching was samsara or our world of suffering is something we need to liberate ourselves from and get out of so there won't be more rebirths into this cycle of suffering. And the ideal of the first turning were the arhats. And maybe I'd say still are. And, you know, there are many, many schools in the first turning, but now we have Theravada, but there were 18 different schools. Um, but this arhat ideal of liberation, no more returning to the cycle of birth and death, a, a personal liberation. The out of this, you know, growing out from this wonderful teaching and practice and the establishment of the monks and nuns uh, and the development of highly scholastic ways of uh, analyzing our experience into uh, nuggets or elements and, and working with these analyzations, etc. This the the it seemed that there was a kind of distancing maybe the from the monks and the nuns who were able to spend um, hours and hours in meditation and so forth and do this kind of concentration practice and seemed to possibly be more distanced from the laity and the the lay practice. Um, was to support the monks and nuns and, and devotional practices and uh, giving dana practice and so forth. So about 140 years after the Buddha, the historical Buddha died, this um, other kind of teaching came to be. And I won't go into in depth the, the kind of differences, but what, what eventually happened was that it was it seemed to be like a new a new more than a school almost almost like the difference between christianity and judaism like an actually new um way and and buddhism is very very diverse really uh today we know there's many schools different countries have different uh ways of practice that maybe wouldn't wouldn't be um, would be surprising you know to uh, someone in another country who wasn't familiar with that so in this new turning there were sutras that came out of this of course the buddha had died the historical buddha but these sutras were said uh, to come from the Buddha and start out with the same formula, the Ananda saying, thus have I heard. Ananda, who 
knew by heart all the teachings of the Buddha. And these, these different kinds of sutras have a different flavor than the Pali Canon. The Mahayana sutras uh, include a kind of, um, in, uh, the, the historical Buddha ha has changed into, you might say, the, the bliss body of the Buddha, the Sambhogakaya Buddha, the three bodies of Buddha, the reality body of the Buddha. There's different Buddha verses or universes where amazing things happen. And this may not be one's cup of tea, you know. Some people don't find, or for Zen practitioners, the chop wood, carry water, aesthetic, simple teachings we may have more affinity with, but these teachings of the Mahayana are uh, for us and to encourage us to practice. So, the Vimalakirti Sutra is like this. It's, it, it sets forth amazing, magical universes that are really beyond our conception. It, it, it's an illustration of the inconceivable, which we can't grasp with words in our mind or formulate verbally. And, and the sutras try, but in doing so, when you read them, you, you, you find that you, you let go of trying to grasp the enormity of these Buddha verses and all the things that are happening. This is all part of the skillful means where one actually experiences a kind of letting go of our usual way of being able to grasp stuff with words and concepts. So the also in the Mahayana, the Arhat ideal of personal liberation and not returning to the wheel of birth and death is replaced by the bodhisattva ideal, the bodhisattva who, you know, amazingly vows to come back and live for the benefit of others until everyone is liberated. This is, this is really, in contrast to the arhat, this is quite an amazing change. And along with um, the arhat ideal is the teachings of emptiness and the, the, the fact that we are interdependent and so interdependent that you could say we don't actually exist by ourselves as a separate substantial entity. We are so interdependent with everything else that each moment of our existence is empty of separateness. So these themes are the second turning of the wheel themes, bodhisattva ideal, emptiness teachings. And then along with the emptiness teachings, transcendent wisdom is one might fall into nihilism. Well, if nothing exists substantially, how, how can we love and have compassion for beings, people, animals, and plants? This is the key to, I think, the uh, Vimalakirti Sutra and the second turning of the wheel that 
the, the combination of this transcendent wisdom that sees the dependently, the, the co-arising of everything and still has compassion for beings and lives for the benefit of beings. That's a thumbnail sketch of the uh, second turning of the wheel. And these teachings are not easy. You know, just emptiness in and of itself. It, it, these are not easy to grasp conceptually. And, but we need an intellectual understanding actually in order to, I think, um, continue our, our practice or we'll, we might just say, forget this, this is too difficult. So to have some intellectual understanding is important. So the Vimalakirti takes these themes and expresses them and Vimalakirti himself uh, is a kind of amazing teacher that puts together the, the elements of our life in a non-dual way and teaches from there. And really, the more I read it and study it, the more I see it's about compassion and love, not separate from wisdom, which is the Mahayana, basic Mahayana teaching. So one might say, and if you're studying the Vimalakirti Sutra and reading what he has to say, you might say, but how can I practice this non-duality and this reconciliation of the opposites? And he talks about it all the time, but how are we going to practice this? What is the practice? How am I going to practice this? Besides reading the sutra and, and being devoted maybe to study. Um, and that's where I feel like our uh, Zazen practice is our practice to reconcile these teachings in our own bodies, expressing it in our own life. I was um, reading and studying with a group of people, uh, uh, a lecture by Suzuki Roshi from 1965. Uh, July, actually July 26th, so just, you know, 55 plus years ago, 56 years ago. Um, I'm not doing the math. Anyway, Suzuki Roshi starts out this, it's a session lecture, and he starts out by saying kind of the conclusion of the lecture, which is the reason I'm talking at all during this session is to encourage you to sit to practice hasen. That's that's the end result or the that's the conclusion of all my talks that I give is that you be encouraged to sit. So here we are today. We have a, a day to sit together and to bring alive in our own bodies and and reconcile the opposites of our our, our way that we think good and bad, praise and blame, 
good reputation, bad reputation, good student, bad student. Um, I get it, I don't get it. All that way that we have of thinking um, that we get mired in, that I get mired in. I remember I, I had this memory of saying to a teacher something like, um, every time I look in the mirror, I just feel I'm so ugly and so such a terrible, terrible person. And they said, don't look in the mirror. And I remember thinking, I was like completely thrown off. What do you mean? Everybody has to, you have to look in the mirror. How can you not look in a mirror? That, that, I don't know what that was, admonition. Like it was a kind of Vimalakirti teaching moment, like just stop doing that stuff, you know? Thinking in that way, but that's how we think. That's how, no, actually this is um, our Zazen, you know, the first time we go to Zazen instruction, we're told, um, you know, we're given our the practice of our bodies and sitting upright and then don't grab onto anything. Don't push anything away. Just allow things to arise and, and go away, come and go. And Suzuki Roshi in this lecture um, says uh, that we have two ways of, of understanding, like the two truths. One is the conventional way, discriminating mind dualistic way of thinking and another he calls intuitive knowledge and and then he brings up this is security he brings up words and that words themselves our language itself is dualistic and vimalakirti and our many other teachings attempt, Dogen in particular, attempt to use words as medicine to kind of help us to unhook from the way we attach to words and ideas and concepts and discriminating things. So, but words, words themselves don't reach it but using words to help us to realize that words themselves don't reach it is part of Vimalakirti and, and many other teachers, many other koans, you know, using the words to show us that we can't get a hold of it that way. And that allows us hopefully to relax, you know, the Dharma gate of repose and bliss, right? is um, our Zazen, our Zazen practice uh, from Dogen and Fukan Zazengi, the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. So Suzuki Roshi goes on to say, um, to not attach while we're sitting to our thinking or our, he says, sensitivities. And my sense of that is like preferences or I like it, I don't like it, that kind of thing. And just whatever image comes to mind, 
just accept it. This is Suzuki Roshi. You just accept it and let them go out. Whatever sound you hear, you let it come in and let it go out. That's all. Very simple. And then he says, when you do not pay attention to the outward object, you will find out your true nature. Now, this is Suzuki Roshi in 1965, and this echoed for me the teaching of one of our ancestors, Prajnatara Daiyosho, Hanyatara, Hanyatara, Hanyatara in our in our ancestor when we chant. Of course, we haven't done that in over a year, right? Hanyatara Daiyosho, Bodai Dharma Daiyosho. These ancestors are teaching that very same teaching. Suzuki Roshi is carrying on the family, the family way. So Prajnatara means pearl of wisdom. And Prajnatara's um, in the Book of Serenity, the third case of the Shoyoroku, the Book of Serenity, we have Prajnatara, uh, who is invited by a Raja. He's from he's an Indian teacher, part of the uh, lineage from Shakyamuni down through Bodhidharma, who is also from India and comes to China, right? So a Raja of an East Indian country invited the 27th Buddhist ancestor Prajnatara to a feast and usually inviting a monk or nun to a feast or a group of monks and nuns to a feast, the, the host would then be, uh, I guess, expecting that there would be teachings offering or chanting of sutras or something uh, in a kind of reciprocal way. We provide food for your meal and you um, provide teachings. So, but Prajnatara, Hanyatara didn't, didn't do this chanting. So the Raja asked him, why don't you read scriptures? And Prajnatara says this uh, wonderful meditation instruction, really, for our one day sitting. Prajnatara, which Suzuki Roshi just said in that lecture I quoted, he said, This poor wayfarer doesn't dwell in the realms of body and mind when breathing in doesn't get involved in the myriad circumstances when breathing out. I always reiterate such a scripture, hundreds, thousands, millions of scrolls. This is Prajnatara to, the, to his host, the Raja. This poor wayfarer, wayfarer is like, you know, a person of the, the way, but also a kind of mendicant, you know, a kind of cloud and water um, practitioner who doesn't get caught, actually. He, not 
you know, he doesn't have an, this is the mind of no abode. This poor wayfarer doesn't dwell in the realms of body and mind, meaning uh, the five skandhas and all the interior thoughts and things that come up. We, he doesn't get, he doesn't dwell in that when breathing in and doesn't get involved with the myriad objects when breathing out. All the things that are going on, all the stuff we're supposed to be doing or didn't do, and the sounds and the annoyance, just, just let that go. Just like Zazen instruction. Whatever comes up, you let it come up. Now this, I always reiterate such a, script, a scripture, hundreds, thousands, millions of scrolls. This is Prajnatara's scripture teaching and, and Bodhidharma echoes it. If, if you know Bodhidharma, uh, his teaching to his disciple Hueka is very similar to Prajnatara, so it gets passed on. He says, outwardly cease all involvements. Do you know this from Bodhidharma? Inwardly, there's no coughing or sighing in the mind. With your mind like a wall, you enter the way. This is Bodhidharma's wall sitting. And it's when it says a mind like a wall, it's not like you become kind of unfeeling and like a, a wall who has no life to it. It's a wall that whatever happens, it's the mind of a wall. Whatever happens, you allow it to happen. You don't push away. You don't grab hold. This is mind like a wall. So no involvements and then no coughing or sighing. Like this coughing or sighing to me is kind of self-criticism and beating ourselves up maybe or complaining, you know, no coughing or sighing in the mind. Whatever it is that's coming up, we allow it. This is upright sitting. This is our, our zazen mind. We don't push it away. I would be much better off if that thought didn't come up. It comes up. It comes up from our karmic consciousness and our, you know, our alaya, vijnana. Things arise, but upright sitting, the upright sitting is that, and this is vimalakirti, the reconciliation of, of these dualistic things are that we don't push it away. We don't think we'd be better off without that thought or that problem or that illness. Upright sitting is there it is. We let it be. And our zazen is, uh, this is our true nature. We sit in the middle of that. So I think it's, you know, so we, we do get caught. I do get caught with thinking it should, 
it should be different. And if I just work harder or concentrate more or um, study harder or all those things, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't study and concentrate. Um, but being caught in, then I would be realize my true nature or something. Our true nature includes everything that's coming up. And Vimalakirti takes this teaching of the reconciliation of opposites and weds it to liberative techniques where he uses, you know, we, we take something that, for example, I'm, this one comes to mind, Rahula, the Buddha's son, who um, was uh, became a monk and, and joined the order, and he renounced. He he would have been, you know, head of the clan, the Sak Sakya clan and prince, and so, and he renounced that, right? And when I hear that, I think, how wonderful, what wonderful practice to renounce worldly affairs, you know. So he's teaching in the sutra, all these people are reluctant to go and inquire about Vimalakirti's illness because he's been, uh, he has related with them in such a way that uh, it was difficult for them or embarrassing. So in this case, Rahul is teaching about renunciation, the joys of it, the wonderfulness of renunciation, you know, and I remember reading that thinking, oh, how wonderful. Vimalakirti comes in and says, you're talking about renunciation and how wonderful it is and teaching these people about renunciation and that they should do it. I thought people who were renunciants had let go of things and here you are attached to your renunciation. And, and, and this is a very subtle point, you know, actually. Vimalakirti finds the places, the little places where even in great spiritual practice, one can be caught. And he does that, uh, you know, using prajna paramita, you know, where, but then he goes, but, but renunciation is wonderful. But are you caught by it? So uprightness is not doing away with renunciation. Well, then I guess I can't do renunciation practice. No. At, do I, it stops us, you know, what do I do? How am I gonna practice? And when we have dualistic, you know, when we only have the choice of it's either this or that. So upright sitting, allows for attachment to renunciation coming up, non-attachment to renunciation coming up, and it just is clearly aware. And this is what Hueka said to Bodhidharma when Bodhidharma said, you know, cease all involvements, outwardly cease all involvements. This is the same as breathing out, I don't get involved in the myriad things. This is Bodhidharma's way of bringing his teacher's teaching alive to his disciple. Inwardly have no coughing or sighing. 
with your mind like a wall, you enter the way. This is just watch it all and allow without pushing or pulling, remaining upright. And then Hueca, his disciples said, I have ended all involvements. Bodhidharma said, cease all involvements. And Hueca then says, I've ended all involvements. And Bodhidharma basically said, you know, if you've ended all involvements, hasn't that fallen into nihilism? This is this danger with, um, with or misunderstanding, danger and misunderstanding. And it can be serious, serious danger. Suzuki Roshi says in that lecture, you know, there can be serious problems if you have a misunderstanding of the teaching and kind of carry that forth. So he says, I've ceased all involvements. Bodhisattvas don't cease involvements. <laughs> but he said to cease all involvements, right? He said, Is it, well, are you falling into nihilism, nihilism? And Hueka said, no, I haven't fallen into that. And Bodhidharma says to Hueka, well, prove it. And Hueka says, I am always clearly aware. I am always clearly aware. Therefore, words cannot reach it. So this, this teaching that we can't get at it with our words, we can't have the teaching in that way, treating the Dharma like an object. Vimalakirti goes into quite a... Uh, saying about not treating the dharma like an object like a thing rather than this living flowing arising true existence that we can be clearly aware of and realize not grab it though not have it and all these words that I'm saying are, are to encourage us in our gratitude for this, for having come upon, being exposed to, having been taught to sit upright in the midst of this life, practicing clear awareness. I am always clearing, clearly aware. Therefore, words cannot reach it. And then Bodhidharma says, this is the essence of the mind, which all Buddhas realize, doubt no more. And this might echo other koans that you know of or stories where uh, I am like this, you are like this too. All the Buddhas and ancestors are like this. So, so we can watch today in our sitting, in our upright sitting, where we lean into things. You know, the, the, this mind that neither grabs nor, nor pushes away is expressed in our upright sitting, neither leaning forward nor back, neither grabbing at things, getting involved 
nor pushing away and 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 uh, yeah, pushing or pulling. And if there's pushing or pulling, clearly aware that that's what's arising. That that's our a possibility with our upright sitting. I was reading a lecture by Tenshin Roshi where he brings up Fukan Sazengi, where it says dullness and distraction are struck aside, right? When we're practicing Zazen dullness. And I, I always think, but I am dull and I get distracted. But the struck aside is that if dullness arises, you're clearly aware of dullness. If distraction arises, you're clearly aware of distraction. There it is, clearly aware. And not pushed around by it, mind like a wall. This is how we reconcile these opposites with our own body-mind, with our own upright sitting, with our zazen practice. So these meditation instructions um, I've found in terms of the Vimalakirti Sutra, his, he doesn't ever say really sit zazen in, in so many words, but I feel like we can't understand it by trying to intellectually grab onto what he's saying although that can encourage us, we can just realize it in our, by sitting like, and this is his practice, practice, lotus and muddy water practice, where we sit in the middle of our suffering and the suffering of the world, and we neither push it away nor grab onto it. What, and then, and we respond. We will respond out of compassion and love, even though the teaching says there's no substantial being or earth or people, animals, or plants to grab onto. This is this is really unfathomable, I feel. And at this unfathomable with our, it's beyond our perception. And yet we're given this practice to sit upright in the midst of this life. So here we are online today, uh, practicing together in this kind of I mean, talk about magical universes, you know. I don't think Vimalakirti could have imagined. Maybe he could have, actually. He's kind of a magician. Uh, the, what, what we're able to do here, be together all across. I, I'm not sure if people are from other countries besides North America, or, but... Certainly, uh, an unusual ability. Now we're we're used to it, but to me, it's still magical that we can do this together. So, 
let's practice together for the day and please take care of yourself and and give yourself the benefit of all the practices you've been taught silence and stillness taking good care of your body taking good care of everyone you meet bowing to each thing each person as buddha and allow uh, gratitude to arise and fill your life. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.